So I've been working on this book for a while. It's going to be out in October. I'll send you a copy of it for sure. And it's kind of a lot of the stuff that, that was in the exhibit. And um, I'm really talking about the psychology and the neuroscience of what a lot of people call thrill seekers and, and really sort of dispelling some of the myths of people who have this kind of personality, this sort of high sensation seeking personality that, that I kind of think of partly as a superpower. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you have that uh, kind of thing. And the way that you use it is for this amazing ability, I think, uh, which is called free diving. So for people who don't know about free diving, can you sort of describe um, uh, what it is? Yeah, free diving, uh, to put it really simply, free diving is, is sort of like deep snorkeling. Uh, it's kind of an ancient activity. People in Greece used to free dive for food. Uh, people all over the continent of Africa. Uh, it's, it's an ancient, it's an ancient uh, sport, if you, if you could call it that back then. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's essentially diving as deep as you can, unassisted with a uh, you know no 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 tanks no nothing just the breath that you get at the surface and uh, yeah you see how far that can take you. Wow, and you've been doing it I think for uh, how long have you been doing it? For? I go over nine years at least, but how how long? Let's see, I've been doing it for I think eight or nine years. Wow. So what, what, what inspired you to do it? And, and like, what, 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 what was it like the first time that you decided to do it? Well, so free diving was something I've always wanted to do my entire life. Um, since I was a small child, actually, I just didn't know it was a teachable sport. I just thought, you know, you, you were just naturally good at it or you weren't. And I knew I had a passion for, you know, being underwater on one breath since I, like I said, very, very young. It wasn't until, I want to say it was 2000, 2009 or 10 that I saw a freediver on television. I believe it was Tanya Streeter. And when I saw her gear and how specific and unusual it was, it was not normal snorkeling or scuba diving gear. A little light went off and I realized that this was, this was its own unique you know, thing. It was his own sport. So I quick did a Google search to figure out what it was called. And it, it was called freediving, of course. Very simple. I almost could have guessed that. Um, and I, I looked for courses to see if there was any courses where I could, you know, learn the basics of this. And I signed up for the first, first course that I could, which was just a few months later. I took my first freediving course in, I believe it was February. 2009 or 2010. Hmm. And so let me ask you, I mean, I've got two questions in my head, actually. So, so like, I mean, I've got a couple of questions. Number one, how long, how deep can you go in, in free diving? And uh, how long can you hold your breath for? Me personally? Yeah, yeah. Well, the deepest dive I've done was 75 meters. Wow. Um, roughly 245 or 250 feet. And the longest I've held my breath for was about 5.45. Wait, five minutes and 45 yeah. seconds? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long... And so, and, and what, 
what skills do you need to be a good free diver? I mean, how do you hold your breath for five minutes? So anybody can be a free diver. The skills are learned. I think what makes, you know, free divers become exceptional are the ones who are the most comfortable in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the skills that you learn, that can be taught to anybody and anybody no matter how old or young you are, uh, you can pick up these skills. Uh, no matter how you know fit or out of shape you are or think you are, you can. This, these skills can be trained. And uh, what, being in the water is very low impact. So a lot of people that might surprise you are actually into free diving and they're pretty good at it. Uh, I know of a couple uh, people in their 70s who are free divers and they're actually quite deep. Um, so the skills can be trained. You, if anybody listening to this is interested in the sport, I highly recommend taking a class because they will be absolutely blown away by what they can learn in the space of two to four days. And and how is it different than scuba diving or snorkeling? Like what, like what's, I mean, what, what's essentially different about it being under the water with just your own breath, the water around you and the scenery of being underwater. How is it different than having a tank or, scuba gear well with it i've only been on a scuba tank a few times um but the difference is, is quite a lot when you have a tank on there's a lot of noise that you're making underwater and you hear it quite loudly when you're free diving you don't have any of that and you it's a lot more easy to hear the the crackling sounds of the fish that are all around you or your even your own heartbeat. A lot of people say that they really, the the thing they hear the most is their own heartbeat. So, you know, you might hear your heartbeat in the beginning of a dive if you're focused on that and then you slowly hear it slowing down as you get deeper and deeper. So that's kind of one big difference with the, the free diving and the scuba diving. Also, I would say it's, it's really similar. I've heard one comparison that I thought was really good. Freediving, let's say it this way, scuba diving is like driving through a national park with the windows up and music playing. Freediving is more like walking or riding a bike through that park. So that's kind of, to me, in my mind, it's, that's a good um, analogy for it. The difference between freediving and snorkeling with snorkeling, you're not necessarily pushing any boundaries, and you might not necessarily be getting very immersed into whatever ecosystem it is that you're diving in, that you're snorkeling in. Freediving definitely, what's the word? Freediving definitely pushes you into a meditative state. And if you're just snorkeling at the surface, kicking, breathing constantly, I think it's very difficult to slip into that mental state without the act of, you know, a, a, a long breath hold or a decent breath hold or, or submersing yourself for any period of time. Once you start to actually free dive and take time at the bottom, it really does slip you into a sort of like a pseudo meditative state. Now, when you tell people you do this, um, and they've met you for the first time, what's, what's, their, what, what's the typical reaction? Um, I get a, a lot of um, fear-based reactions from people. They're always quite surprised. And then 
the, you know, the, the things that come out of their mouths are along the lines of that's terrifying or that's crazy or you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually the typical reaction. Mm. Um, very few times do people hear and be like, Oh, I've always wanted to do that. But for the most part, the general population seems to be pretty terrified of the idea of being, you know, a hundred feet underwater. And, and what do they think is crazy about it? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I can think of. I can <laughs> think of. That's what you're putting. I think in their minds, when when they hear that you can dive 50, 100, 250 feet, all those numbers sound like a death sentence. And mm-hmm. so to them, that's why it's crazy. It's in their minds. Why would anybody want to risk their lives like that? Because they don't understand that the human body is actually built for that. They don't understand that they themselves after a weekend of training could probably do a 50 foot or maybe even a hundred foot dive on their own. Yeah. I mean, to me, I mean, one of the things that I think is a really amazing about the personality um, uh, skill that you have is to be able to be calm in the midst of chaotic kinds of experiences. And that's sort of part of what I talk about in, in, in the book and and your ability to be able to focus in chaos is something that is um, that not everybody has. And there, there, there are certain people who are better at it than others, for sure. And, and you're definitely like that. But the, you did talk about something that I think is really important is that, that you think it's, it's easy to teach people some skills that are to make it easier for them to do that. And so when you have someone that comes to you and says, I want to be able to free dive, um, can you tell if they're going to have an easier time to do it than others? Are there some people that you can see like, oh yeah, this person's going to be easy to teach. And there are, are there other people that you think like this person's going to have a tough time? It's not evident to me, perhaps it's just because I'm not as experienced as an instructor, but it's not as evident to me right off the bat when I'm talking to them on land. You really can tell with people when they start gearing up or during a part of a lecture, you start talking about open water dives, you know, diving where you can't see the bottom. It's when they start to realize what it is that they're getting themselves into. The folks that, you know, take courses are the ones that are death scared. Sometimes you don't realize it until they start to understand what's expected of them and a lot of times people I mean well not I mean I've had several people you know sign up for coaching sessions or or courses and they're very excited about it and they kind of give they've given me an impression that they were water lovers and very comfortable in the water and that wasn't necessarily the case and I didn't know until they actually got I got on a line with them Mm. and the first few times it happened, I was very confused. Like, why are they having trouble, you know, a tr- trouble equalizing? And then after a little while, I realized like, they're death scared. <laughs> it's, for me, it's so it's so unnatural to harbor those feelings in the water that it at first it took me a while to realize um, I'm sort of the exception in the general population, not the rule. Yeah, and most people are actually a bit afraid of water. Even people who love going to the beach, swimming in pools, and this kind of thing, 
it's a different story when you put them in 500 feet of open ocean and it's pitch, you know, it's navy blue all the way to the bottom. Wow. I mean, you're, you know, you and the water are sort of one. Yeah. You're just, you know, you're, you're from Atlantis or something, you know? Um, <laughs> so I've been looking, I was reading at some of your, your, your things on the web and you said you've been out over 20 different countries and you've got some things on your um, bucket list. And so tell me, um, talk, you, you said you've, you freed up with a humpback whale in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, an icy mountain river in Switzerland, uh, tiger sharks, um, sunken cities in Turkey. So what's, what, what's the thing that um, stands out in your mind as your sort of most awe-inspiring experience um, that you've had underwater? Um, well, I've had a couple, but one of the most uh, impactful things I've done was, was actually swimming with tiger sharks. Um, like I said, as a child, I've, you know, always just been in love with being under the water on a single breath. Um, never really had too much of a passion to become a scuba diver, to be honest. (laughs) Um, but, uh, along with that, like I had dreams of swimming with tiger sharks, swimming with crocodiles. These were all things that I think they were kind of like fantasies of mine because I didn't think they were possible. Um, but you know, I've learned recently that they're not impossible and they're very doable. So when I started, you know, meeting people who were doing these things and linking up with them and learning from them, I was able to make, you know, swimming with tiger sharks, that goal, I was able to make that a reality. And I think, you know, having that physical interaction with a a tiger shark that was, you know, massive, (laughs) I think it was like 12 or 14 feet long. Um, I had one particular instance where I was just hanging out at the bottom in this, it's like a sandy area off the Bahamas, white sand bottom. And I was just hanging out down at the bottom and watching the sharks all around. It wasn't just tiger sharks. There were tiger sharks and lemons and reef sharks and everything. And I was watching this one tiger kind of come over and make a little circle. They, they make circles around and check, checking everybody out. I was watching her come over and she just passed right over me and so I kind of turned around and swam underneath her for a little while and I I couldn't help it I I've always wanted to know what their skin feels like and I was so scared to reach up and touch her I didn't want to bother her I didn't want her to have any kind of reaction and I was really worried about like stressing the animal out I just the next thing I knew I kind of had my hand on her belly and she didn't jerk or twitch or move or anything and I got to for a split second feel what the tiger shark skin felt like and then after that and I swam with her quite a while we actually ended up swimming over a patch reef and then I realized like oh I'm still going I need to go back to the surface um so I went back up and then made my way to the boat because I felt like okay there's nothing gonna top that I need to get out and absorb this experience Wow. And so, I got out and sat on the boat and I just could not believe what had just happened. Wow. Like, so first of all, what does it feel what does it feel like? It's kind of like it's a little bit like rough and bumpy, like sandpaper, but it's not like dry and gritty. They're it's rough and smooth at the same time. And I I, I think I believe it's just because they have a little bit of like a maybe like a coating on their skin or something, some sort mm-hmm. of a I'm not sure. I could be wrong. It felt smooth and, and rough at the same time so maybe they have like some sort of a mucous membrane like a fish does yeah. um but yeah it was 
I don't know. It was different. It was. And, and what about crazy. your heart rate? How do you how do you manage? How do you not scream like scream with excitement underwater when you know that that would be bad? I don't. I, I don't know. I've been in the water with some people who do scream and squeal and holler with excitement. I just, I don't do that. Like my heart rate might go up a little bit, but I'm usually so focused on what's happening that I'm not even like, I'm not sure if my heart was racing or not at that moment. Like I, it, I'm sure it was, but I wasn't thinking about that. I was, you know, thinking about other things. Um, trying to stay focused on the things I needed to stay focused on. But I, I tend not to scream in the water. I, I don't know. I, it, it's fun and all, but especially if you're in the water with other things, like I don't, I don't, <laughs> like, would, I wouldn't like go into somebody's house and just scream. Like, <laughs> I don't know what that sounds like to them. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I'm not much of a excitement screamer underwater <laughs> and then you and then you were so sort of distracted that you you forgot that you that you needed to get air yeah I mean yeah <laughs> it wasn't until I realized we were moving off the sand and into you know it's a past reef area that I realized I was getting kind of away from our little like diver group zone and didn't want to stray too far wow. um yeah, but yeah. I mean, when when you when you focus on things other than your your urge to breathe, you mm. you'd be surprised how long you can go. And so, what what and how do you help people? So, are there are there things that you do to train when you're not underwater to help with that? With, yeah, with there are some some dry land exercises you can do uh, to help with uh, improving. Your CO2 tolerance, that's a big one. Your CO2 tolerance is kind of what triggers that urge to breathe. Um, and then there's obviously like conditioning things you can do on land and, and, and drills in the pool as well that are really good. Hmm. And so you, you mentioned something about, um, you know, you think it's a good idea to, um, to help, like for other people who've been thinking about this to, uh, to, to take a class. Um, what are some things that you help people with? Like, you know, what, what could they expect in their first class? Those are those people who are thinking about learning how to free dive. If you sign up for a beginner's course for free diving, you will learn everything you need to know about gear. Uh, even before the class, they'll kind of give you gear recommendations in case you're completely green and don't even know what kind of fins you should look into and all that kind of stuff. They'll give you gear recommendations. But yeah, you'll learn in the course, you'll learn why we recommend, what we recommend in terms of that. You will learn how to equalize properly for free diving. There's two different types of equalization. And one will only get you to about 40, 45 feet before you can no longer equalize in that way. And then the way that we teach, you can equalize uh, until you have no more air left to equalize with, essentially. And, and, <laughs> and then is, you got to turn around and go back up and get more air. <laughs> and what, what, what does equalize mean? Uh, equalizing is basically you're equalizing the pressure that builds up in your ears. Uh, uh, as you descend, the water pressure pushes up against your, your eardrum or your tympanic membrane. 
and you have to kind of blow air into your eustachian tube to push it back out again. Hmm. So you're constantly, as you're diving, you're constantly equalizing your ears so that you don't, you know, rupture your eardrum. So it's a very active thing that you're doing all the time. Uh, the equalizing, yes. It's a constant little click. Every time I, I have little tiny eustachian tubes, so I'm equalizing quite often. I equalize like just about every second until I start getting, you know, properly deep. The deeper you get, it kind of levels off and you don't quite have to equalize as often. But um, that's actually a mistake a lot of people who are first learning how to free dive will make. They don't really realize how often you actually have to equalize. If you don't equalize often enough, you can stress your, your eardrum. It can flex too much and it will cause inflammation. And then if you do that for too long during your dives, eventually they'll swell up. They'll get a little inflamed and you wow. won't be able to equalize anymore. So you do actually have to equalize quite often wow. um, in the initial parts of your descent. And, and what's, on your, what's on your list? Like what would you love to, to do like, you know, in the short and long term? Uh, in terms of like bucket list dives or how um, do you mean? Just everything in terms of your like, like professional goals, your, uh, you know, like what would you like to, you know, for, for either for dives or just your career goals? Uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of reassessing that. So I kind of went hard on the free diving a couple of years ago and it was very difficult you know, not working full time is very difficult trying to find ways to uh, pay for it. Hmm. And I managed to make it work by getting, you know, basically like odd jobs as sort of like a model slash stunt diver for different projects. And those paid pretty well. Um, those, those are the things that paid the most and were the most sustaining. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of did so much in such a short period of time that I'm, I feel pretty satisfied with everything I've done. Mm. I did have um, I did have a goal to break a national record. I'm still kind of trying to figure out if I even if I even care about that right now. Honestly, personally, when I get in the water to do training type dives, I just want to get a little bit deeper than I had on previous training dives. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really think that the national, I'm not even sure if I even ever really wanted the national record or if that's just what I thought I wanted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for me, what's more important is just essentially constantly building on what I've, I've done and continuing to learn because you, the deeper you get, you know, you run into you know, slightly different challenges, right? Like, Maybe you learn your legs can only take you so far, so then you've got to train your legs to get you deeper. Or perhaps it's equalizing. Uh, it becomes very challenging, you know, the deeper you go, the less lung volume you have to use to equalize with. So there's those challenges as well. So for me, I'd say in terms of as a competitive athlete, my goals are pretty simple. I just really want to keep progressing little bit by little bit. But in terms of like the non-professional side of freediving, I have some ridiculous goals. <laughs> um, I, I really want to get in the water with crocs, like big uh, crocs. I really want to see orcas. Um, and I've got a couple other goals that I, I'm keeping to myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are the more like exciting kind of get out there and have adventures kind of goals. 
Yeah. Well, one of the things I talk about in the book is that, you know, people who are, who do, who have this sort of personality style, it doesn't just show up in one part of their lives. It sort of pops up in other parts of their lives is, is are the kinds of skills that you have as a free diver, do you find that they help you in other parts of your life as well? I mean, like, are there, do you find like if, if, if people are fighting around you or if there's chaos around you and other, in other things that you, that you can remain calm in those things as well? Um, I, I have friends in the freediving community who have said that. I feel like for me, it's kind of the reverse order. Hmm. I feel like I, that's just part of my personality as a person. And I've that. I use that to be a better freediver. Hmm. Whereas other people who might have been more, you know, the anxious personality type, more of the high stress, highly wound personality type, they discover freediving and then they use that to kind of um, temper other aspects of their lives or, uh. you know, as a stress, as a stress control mechanism, which the breathing exercises definitely do do that. For me personally, I, I I, I feel like my personality informs my freediving more than my freediving informs my personality. Yeah. Well, great. Well, any, any, any exciting things coming up in the short term? Uh, there is a possibility that I might be going to Iceland to freedive oh, wow. in, in Silfrau. Really hope it works out. Not quite sure. <laughs> it's kind of stalling right now. Plans are stalling, I think, a little bit right now. But we'll see. I might be doing that um, later this year. Wow. Other than that, I don't really know what I have next planned. Um, I'm kind of playing everything by ear as I normally do anyway. <laughs> well, well, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. I'm so, yeah, thank, you. so thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. And um, I'll put some um, links on my website um, to, to your information as well. So are you, are you still teaching free diving courses yourself now? I'm, I'm not teaching now that I've come up to North Carolina. Um, yeah, those aren't those aren't being offered right now. Okay, but I'm sure you know people who who do. But oh yeah, for yeah. sure. If you need me to send you any links, I can I can definitely do that. Absolutely great. Well, thank you so much again for talking to me, and um, and uh, I, I really appreciate it.